Back to Hebrews um, chapter 5. Uh, we'll read into chapter 6. But guys, there's just so many things that I want to say. Um, I hope you won't miss Friday night. Um, that's this rotation of the, of the art out there. And then there's this nice little party that breaks out in, in the, uh, the Wednesday night room. There's food and there's just really, um, uh, you know, summer has started. What a great little summer thing to do, Friday night. Um, hope you'll be a part of Sinquan on. Um, and then systematics, systematics theology, ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, I just wonder if you're man enough to uh, walk into some pretty uh, deep theological waters. If you are, come on, come on, let's, um, let's do that together. In July, July 16th and 23rd, um, you got you to commit to eight hours, but otherwise it's free. Um, it's a system, and you got to get it all. So uh, come be with us on the 16th, and call my secretary and sign up if you like. And you know, guys, um, I have a conscience. I, I think I'm not the only one. I have a conscience that um, 61 years ago, I think it was May the 12th, that, that uh, war in Europe uh, came to a, a cessation. Japan was in August. But um, so much sacrifice, so much bloodshed, so much pain. And then 61 years later, we just, you know, we nod our heads in the direction of veterans and then, uh, you know, forget it. Uh, it shouldn't be done. I mean, it's just got to be better than that. So um, as Scott said earlier, you might want to um, recognize those you know who made so many sacrifices so that we can do what we're doing right now. Let me read beginning at verse 11, and I'll read through verse 3 um, of chapter 6. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, um, this endures forever. Guys, this morning as we start, what I want to do is kind of step back and, um, and get a grasp of the forest before we dive into the trees. So, so kind of in your mind's eye, just kind of step back and take a look at what the author is doing, and then we'll, we'll try to get to some specifics in a minute. Um, step back, here we are. The author of the book of Hebrews mentioned Melchizedek in verse 10. Actually, he mentioned it twice in, one, in verse 6 as well, but he mentions Melchizedek and he is about to show his readers, his audience, that, that Melchizedek um, was a type of Christ. That's what you're going to get in chapter 7 once we get there. But he pauses. He wants to show them that Melchizedek is a type of Christ, but he pauses. 
And he pauses because he felt that the, um, that, that analogy of uh, Melchizedek to Christ was just too strong for some of the people in his audience. Um, in essence, I, I, I've, got, I've got much I would like to tell you about the, price, the high priesthood of Christ, um, but I can't because you are not ready for solid food. That's what he says in verse 12 and verse 14. Gang, this text, this um, 5.11 through 6.3, is, is a digression in, in the, main arc, the main theme of the author of Hebrews. It's a pause in his argument. Um, and it is coming from a pastor who is upset. He is upset about Christians who are so underdeveloped. And this little section, this pause, this digression, <clears throat> is his summons to get moving. It's as if he's thinking, you guys wouldn't be having this problem that you're having about you know, returning to Judaism, you wouldn't be thinking like this if you were maturing in the faith. Gang, this section that we're studying this morning is a lament on the part of a pastor. He rebukes them, even scolds them for their lack of maturity. That's what this section is. You got it? So now we, um, let's look closer and let's take a look at a couple of three of the trees that are in this forest that we just looked at. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 11, he says, you have become, you have become dull of hearing. Apparently, um, there was a time when that, that wasn't true of them. Um, uh, there was a time when, when they weren't dull of hearing, but you have become. You didn't used to be like this, but you are now. Now, guys, um, as, as I'm handling this passage, I can't but immediately stop and say to us, what about us? Do you remember those days, um, not too long ago, when you just couldn't get enough? The gospel and the free gift of eternal life through Christ was just such a stunning discovery on our, on our parts that we, that we devoured everything that we could get our hands on. But this author says to this audience, but you have become. Oh, there used to be a day when you were, you were devouring everything that you could get a hold of, but, but you've become dull of hearing. And interestingly, by the way, he mentions that, he uses that same verb in verse 12, but it doesn't show up in the English translations. It's the word gaganate, 
Um, and, and literally what he says is, in verse 12, you have become of need of milk. Now, you didn't used to do that. But, um, and you remember back in two, chapter 2, verse 1, when he, um, he exhorted them to pay close attention to, to the needs of their soul. But instead of that, instead of paying close attention... Their spiritual lives had devolved into a lazy, sinful inattention to the soul. Indifference, perhaps. Maybe familiarity that had bred contempt. I don't know. Guys, um, I hope you realize this already before I'm telling you, but you, you realize that there is a gravitational pull of a fallen nature that works that works in concert with, um, with the pull of, of, um, of a godless world into the um, orbit of buying and getting and possessing. So this gravitational pull of my soul cooperates with the world that wants me to, wants to drag me into this, this world of consumerism. Anyway... Um, you know, there are those uh, within the pale of Christianity that, that want to know just enough. You know, kind of the, uh, the, the, the absolute minimum that, they, that, are, that is necessary to get them into heaven so that they can then return to their real quest um, for pleasure, for, for consumerism. Um, whatever the explanation in terms of these people, the pastor in Hebrews 5 and 6 is disturbed. He is disturbed about the spiritual level of maturity um, and, um, and he rebukes them. That's what verse 11 is. You have become. Now, that's tree number one. Let's, um, let's take a look at tree number two. And that would be in verses 12 and 13 and on into chapter 6. But in essence, <clears throat> if what he said in verse 11 is true of us, then, then the, your spiritual condition is that you live off milk and not solid food. Um, if that's true of us, then there is so much out there to know, but you don't know it. <clears throat> Why don't you come to a systematic theology and learn some more of it? But there's so much out there that you don't know because you aren't able you aren't able to get it. And thus, your usefulness to God and his people is, um, is limited at best. He says this. He says, you ought to be teachers. But you're not. Um, you ought to be leaders. 
but you're not. You ought to be disciplers, but, but you're not. You still need to be taught the ABCs of, of Christian living. And then you'll notice, or I, let me point out, in verses 1 and 2, he gives you three paired um, examples of, 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 in essence, doctrinal immaturity. Look, he says in verse 1, um, not laying a foundation again of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, which really is descriptive of a conversion. And then in verse 2, and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands. That's the second pair, which is nothing more than initiatory rites. And then he goes on from there, the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. There's this third pair, which has to do with one's future hope. So what you've got down is uh, what it means to be converted and all the initiatory rites and something about heaven. And that's it. That's as far as we've gotten. You know, guys, um, it's, it's almost comical to me in verse 2, and instructions about washings. You know that the Greek word there is baptizo. It's instruction about baptisms. And I wonder how many times in the, in the course of a year that I'm, I'm um, dragged into a conversation about baptism. <laughs> That's about the only thing that we, want, that we get riled about is baptism. We're supposed to move on from that, ladies and gentlemen. How much of our theological interest lies in, well, how you're baptized? Is it immersion? Is it by pouring? Is, I mean, when is it, you know, is it necessary? You know, gang, what this author is saying is, that's an indication of spiritual immaturity. Guys, every church includes believers of all stages of growth. Yes. There, there, there is, of course, a genuine progress of understanding that is a mark of spiritual maturation, at least normally. I, I say normally because, gang, knowledge divorced from Christ's likeness produces Pharisees. We ain't after that. But normally I'm saying that, that to, to grow in grace requires more and more information about who Jesus is, what he did, etc., etc. Now, gang, being a spiritual infant, a, ch- a babe, is fine if you're brand new. But it is not fine if you've been a Christian for a while. There are many men with gray hair and yet have little discernment. This is something that Spurgeon said. He said, there are few believers who seem to be born with beards. (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny. There are few of those folks. Those guys that early on are mature. There are few Christians that are born with beards, but, but, but not many of those guys. Guys, what would you think about a mother 
who was still nursing her 10-year-old. Hmm. Guys, the strong, the mature, always need milk. Milk will never hurt you. But the weak, they cannot do meat because it would hurt them. Do you get that? Let me, let, me, let me try to illustrate it in three different ways. Gang, about the first thing that we learned when we went to school were the ABCs. We, have our, we, we learned the ABCs, um, and it is used as the base of all other learning. But you see, we take those ABCs, and we move on from there, and we take the alphabet with us. Guys, you'll never graduate from high school if all you know is the ABCs. But you'll never graduate from high school if you don't know the ABCs. Get it? Here, here's another example from my, um, my, my illustrious um, athletic past. You know, I'm a baseball player, you know, played it in the SEC, played at the University of Tennessee. I was a starter my, my junior and senior years. And, and uh, early on, back in when I was playing in the Little Leagues, um, I was uh, quite good <laughs> uh, because I could run and catch and throw. And, um, and I took all that run and catching and throwing into the SEC with me. But unfortunately, I never learned how to hit a right-handed curveball. And I was a right-handed hitter. And I discovered, or soon discovered, that the skill set needed... To, um, to succeed in the SEC uh, was a skill set that I did not possess. And so I never moved on to the bigs because although I had really mastered the ABCs, the running, the catching, and the throwing, I was good at that. <laughs> but that's not enough. That's not enough to get you in the bigs. One more illustration. You know, the... Uh, when the Nazi concentration camps were liberated and all of the captives were liberated in, in really in, in the winter and spring of 40, 1945, um, they didn't sit them down and give them a, a meal of ribeye steak and fried chicken. Couldn't take it. But eventually, they ate fried chicken. Gang, here's the point. Progress is obligatory. That's what 6.1, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Progress is obligatory. That's tree number two. All right. So it's obligatory, but how? That's tree number three. But stay with me, guys. How? How do I make progress? All right, I want you to notice in the text, it's in verse 14. Solid food is for the mature. And by the way, it has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to, do how, nothing to do with how old you are. The Greek word is teleos. 
um, which means perfected or complete. Um, but solid food is for the mature. You know, the solid food, the things that are deep and beautiful, those are for the mature. Now, here's the, here's the question, I think. How does the mature get to be mature? Um, now, guys, at this point, I really have to bore you with some Greek stuff. I hate to do this to you, but it's, it really is important in terms of the understanding of the text. There, there are two words in here that, that really upset me about the ESV. Uh, notice, um, how does how the mature get mature? For those who have their powers of discernment trained. Okay, first of all, the word trained. The Greek word is gymnazo, um, out of which we get our word gymnasium. That's easy. Everybody knows what we do in gymnasiums. We train. Okay, we're supposed to be gymnasium, you know? The word that really troubles me about this translation in the ESV is the word powers. Um, because that really is the wrong word. I'm telling you, it's the wrong word. The Greek word is aisteterion, and it's what's known as a hapax legomena. A hapax legomena is that it appears one time in the Bible. This word, aisteterion, appears one time in the whole New Testament, and it's right here. So you really can't do a word study and track it down, all the usages in the Bible, because it only appears once. But you can look at the etymology of the word, the history of the word. You can find that. And the history of the word is that it's describing an organ of sense. I mean, the translators could have used the word faculties. That would have been decent. But the word powers? There's all kinds of Greek words that, could, that they could use if if they were meant powers, but those words weren't used. The word aisteterion was used. It has to do with senses. Now, I, I, I go to that at length because it, it, it makes the text richer. Let me show you why. Guys, we have senses uh, physically. We have, we have five of those things. Sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. So you see, the body has five senses. So does the soul. I'm not sure it's five. But the soul has senses too. Like sight. There is a sight to the soul. You know, I know people, if you were to stick a diamond in one hand and a cubic zirconium in the other, they would be able to spot the difference in a heartbeat. I can't, but they can. Do you know how, you know how they got there? They got there because their senses have been trained. Or hearing. You know, guys, th- th- there are people who have an ear for music. They know when, when music is a half note off. Did you see the movie Whiplash? <laughs> that maniacal conductor, uh, J.K. Simmons played the, the role. And he was this maniac for tempo, tempo, tempo. Because he had, a, he had an ear that's trained. How did he get there? 
It was training. You know, ladies and gentlemen, just as an aside, I have people come to my systematic theology class, and I dare you to come. I dare you to come. Come on. Let's move out of the shallow end of the pool and get in the deep. What do you say? Come on. Uh, but, But there are people who come to my systematic theology class and find that the sound of the doctrines of grace are shrill. Ladies and gentlemen, the problem is not with the doctrines of grace. The problem is with your ears. They're untrained. Or smell. Have you ever heard people talk about, I I smell a rat? You know, there are police officers that can walk up to a car and they can sniff around and they can smell marijuana smoke. I can't do that. But how did they get there? Because they have senses that are trained. Taste. Folks, there are some people that that know the difference between basil and saffron and curry and rosemary. I don't know the difference in those things. But how did they get to that skill? Well, because their senses are trained. And then there's a feel. You know, not too long ago, I was talking to a young woman, and she was so impressive, so cute, just this recent graduate from a very fine university. And she had a four-year degree in Spanish. Her major was in Spanish. And um, so we were going on a missions trip, and I said to her, um, um, why don't you come on our missions trip? We'll pay for it so that you can be our translator. And she said, oh, no, 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 Dr. Young. (laughs) She said, I wouldn't feel comfortable in a Spanish-speaking country. I said, what? I mean, what school did you go to? Um, She said, no, because every language has a syntax. Every language has has a feel. How do you learn syntax, ladies and gentlemen? You have senses that are trained. Guys, all of those senses of the body have to be trained. And so do the senses of the soul. Tell me one sense of your soul that has been trained. Guys, in Christianity, um, I just want you to know strong food exists. Uh, the person of Christ, our, our union with Christ, um, the doctrines of grace, the immutability of God, the Trinity. Um, and all of those things are really nothing more than a fuller and richer and deeper understanding of the gospel. That is, what God did to save us and how. As your pastor, are you simply to be left out of that conversation? Please don't. Please don't do that to yourself. Guys, verse 1 of chapter 6 is an appeal. An appeal to move on. It's a summary. 
that comes on the heel of a rebuke. He's asking you to move on. Okay, but how? Now, before I answer that, I want to ask you one more question. Um, How would you compare your present level of maturity with your level of maturity a year ago or five years ago? If you aren't pleased with the answer, then listen carefully. At the center of all Christian growth is this book. Jesus says so in John 17. Oh, but I've really tried. I mean, it just confuses me. I mean, it's just so so difficult. I just just don't get it. I mean, oh. Okay. Then come Saturday morning. And I'll try to give you some help. 10 o'clock. How to study your Bible. Secondly, guys, we live in a day of anti-intellectualism. My hero, R.C. Sproul, says that the greatest threat to the Christian church today is what he calls sensuality. And he's not referring to sexual immorality. What he's referring to is that if it feels good, I'm going to do it. If it works, I'm going to do it. Emotions are, are sovereign, especially inside the church. People go to church and they want concerts, not worship. I will die before we will offer you a concert. Guys, doctrine is viewed as divisive. We don't want to think. And we think that that is cute. It is not cute. Go to God and beg him to teach you. David did. Here's an assignment for you. This week, study Psalm 119. Get ready. It's real long, 176 verses. All I want you to do is underscore the number of times that the author of Psalm 119 says, instruct me. Open my eyes that I might learn wonderful things from your life. Just underscore those things. And how many times the psalmist said, you got to teach me, you got to teach me, you got to teach me. And then finally, guys, spiritual maturity is, is not earned. Nothing in Christianity is earned. It's not as if you can go off and get yourself a seminary degree and then all of a sudden you're mature. It doesn't work like that, ladies and gentlemen. Um... We get maturity from obedience to the will of God. Listen, listen. Now, you got to stay with me. This is hard. In Christianity, we know and then we do. But also in Christianity, we do and then we know. I want to tell you, Jesus said that, by the way, in John 17, John 7, 17. He says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God. If you want to do God's will, then you'll know. I want to tell you a story, and I owe this story to John Otley. This is, we're a little late here, but um, it's a story out of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. You know, everybody knows the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But there's, a, you know, there's six chronicles, or seven, 
Uh, and one of the chronicles is entitled Prince Caspian. And in Prince Caspian, on one occasion, the four kids, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, are lost. They're in a woods, and they're lost. They, they don't know how to get out of there, and they don't know what the right course is, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and suddenly, Lucy catches a glimpse of Aslan, you know, the, the Christ figure in the Chronicles. Um, and, and, and then she knows um, that they should walk towards the, where she spotted him. The others don't agree, and, and they think they got a better idea. They don't, and they get lost again, and they're almost killed. And then Aslan appears again and directs Lucy to follow them, um, even if the others are not going to follow her. So Lucy tells her siblings about Aslan's direction, and again, they don't like the idea. Uh, they can't see Aslan, but Lucy is insistent, and so they follow her lead. Uh, Lucy keeps her eyes on Aslan, and everyone else just keeps their eyes on, on Lucy. And, and Aslan leads them through these dangerous regions and down and through steep and narrow passageways, but Lucy fixes her attention on, on the lion. The others are just, you know, walking around in the dark. They, they, they can't see Aslan or hear him. Finally, after traveling this long distance, Edmund's eyes are opened. And at last, the others see uh, Aslan as well. Um, so what Lewis is trying to tell you is this. Seeing and knowing came by obeying. You want to know? Then we must obey. The same thing is true for us. Seeing and knowing comes on the heels of obeying. And the more I follow, the more I obey, the more I see. Folks, the author's whole motive in, in this section is that God's people will know more and more of the priestly work of Christ because the more of his beauty that they see, the less likely they are to, uh, uh, the, the less prone they are to, to give themselves to substitute deities or to, or to be tormented with unnecessary fears or, or even in this case to consider giving up and throwing in the towel. Gang, this text is not a summons to go get a seminary degree. It is a summons to know Christ. Our Father, I pray that you will use this portion of your word to summon your people to a greater, a greater sense of um, urgency over their attention given to the soul. Lord, um, as we see in Prince Caspian, so often seeing and knowing is the derivative of following. Might you... Um, enable us to follow by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.